Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is the first of our upcoming series of uh, old movie throwbacks as we are dealing with the theater closures due to the COVID-19 crisis, but The Rewind marches on, and we're going to maybe talk about a few new streaming options every now and then as they pop up, but uh, we're largely going to be focusing now on old movies where we talk about a movie that maybe just like a classic or something that people have been telling me to watch for years that I've never seen, or something that might be good to revisit for one reason or another, and today's episode is about the movie Short Term 12. I'm joined by my friends Adam Lichtenstein. Adam, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Good, and Kayla Mead. Kayla, thanks for being here. Oh, not a problem at all. Glad to be here. Yeah. Glad to talk to different people. Yeah, yeah. Well, Adam and Kayla, I, I, I'm kind of in the minority of people these days, and I'm still like going into work like a normal person, which uh, might sound crazy to some, but that's what I'm doing. And Adam already kind of doesn't have like a regular office he goes into, and so he's stuck at home along with Kayla, who is actually – used to go into a real job and is now at home because she's a teacher. So, uh, the, therapist. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, uh, I guess giving them a break from each other, even though they're still both on this podcast, they have someone else to talk to. We are in, <laughs> we're in separate rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, and yeah, as I mentioned, like we're going to start talking about old movies on the podcast. Cause I won't, I mean, people don't really have anything better to do than sit at home and watch old stuff. And I've been telling a lot of my recurring guests like Adam and Kayla that what I want to do is, you know, talk about old stuff, but have some reason to watch it other than, you know, <laughs> Oh, I'm going to have someone on to talk about their favorite movie because I think that could get old and I want to have a better angle, like, you know, stuff that I've never gotten around to that I should watch or something that is just an interesting reason to revisit. Uh, when I first told Adam about this, he mentioned My Cousin Vinny and that while that is like, I think one of his favorite movies, it's something that, you know, is a, a movie that I, I like, but I haven't watched since before I became a lawyer. So I think it's going to be cool to revisit that. So I'm thinking of those kind of angles or classic movies. And ironically enough, even though I didn't want to like have people on to talk about their favorite movies, today we're talking about one of my favorite movies in Short Term 12 because I was like kind of pitching ideas to Kayla about like what they should watch. And I'd forgotten that she hadn't seen it, that she had seen it, but I knew, Ad, I guess Adam hadn't. And then we were trying to think of a movie to do for a podcast. And they're like, all right, well, we can just talk about this. And to be honest, guys, like I was, I'm, I was kind of dreading it at the same time. I was like, well, we don't have a better option, but like it's almost intimidating to talk about like a movie that is like your favorite of all time it's like i've i've already won i've already like mentioned it in passing so many times on this podcast and it feels repetitive but at the same time i've never really talked about it with at length with anyone it's more me like pushing it on other people and recommending to them so i'm like a little worried about talking about something that i love so much and i was wondering would i have anything new to say about it when i've already seen it a lot and luckily i actually think i did and uh for those of you who don't know short term 12 was the uh, 2013 movie by Destin Cretton, who some of you might know better as the director of Just Mercy, which just came out a couple months ago that focused on uh, civil rights lawyer Brian Stevenson, which was played by Michael B. Jordan. That was far more seen than Short Term 12, though Short Term 12 know how has a lot of actors in it that people now know very well. And it it's a semi-autobiographical movie uh, about Destin Cretton originally did a short film about his time working in a short-term care facility for at-risk youth in the los angeles area and then it did very well as a short film and got turned into a movie that almost no one saw even though it received universal acclaim it made less than three million dollars and it stars brie larson before everyone knew her as captain marvel rami malik before everyone knew him as freddie mercury and the guy from mr robot uh caitlin deaver before people knew her as the person from Booksmart, with keith stanfield before people knew him as the guy from like every good movie of the last five years and just like a 
like it just has like a loaded cast of people that were just kind of blew up into something way bigger within a few years of that and i didn't even see it till two years after it came out and it was so little seen that I just kind of push it on people every time they ask me for something to watch because it's usually pretty available on Netflix or Amazon Prime or one of those. And it's on Amazon Prime right now if you want to go watch it and then come back and listen to us talk. Uh, so I guess focus is on uh, all these characters that w- work at this uh, facility where kids live when they're kind of between foster care options or uh, away from their families for one reason or another and they need some place to stay. And they're usually there for a short amount of time, but you can tell some of these characters in this movie have lived there for quite some time. And uh, Brie Larson plays Grace. Uh, John Gallagher Jr. plays uh, Mason, who is also uh, Grace's boyfriend. Uh, as I mentioned, Rami Malek's the new guy in the job, who's kind of, I think, probably the character that Destin, Destin Cretton kind of saw himself as. is like the new guy coming into the situation. Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine plays Jessica, and they're kind of the four main caretakers of this place. Uh, and uh, Lakeith Stanfield plays Marcus, one of the older kids that's about to leave It's because he's about to turn 18. Caitlin Deaver plays Jaden, who's new to the place, and she we kind of learn more about her issues as the movie goes on. And yeah, it's just a, really like a few days in the life of these characters, and it's uh, very powerful. But And I, like I said, I'm always pushing it on people, and I've been probably pushing an Adam for a while now, and we, uh, you finally watched it for this Adam. So I'll start with you because I, Kayla had to remind me that we actually had talked about it before. I forgot, so I know Kayla likes this movie. Uh, Adam, uh, what was your initial reaction to this movie? Because I mean, it's I think it's it's a pretty unique movie, and that it's not like just something you would think that this is the typical thing you're going to go see when like you walk to a theater, and not not that you saw it in a theater, but I think it's just like it's a very different kind of plot and story than what you might often see. Yeah. Well, first off, I was I was just like when the credits were rolling, I'm like, well, this is a loaded cast. Like in the beginning of it, I'm like, I'm like, Oh my God, Brie Larson, John Gallagher, Caitlin Deaver. I'm like, who's Caitlin Deaver again? Oh, right. She's from Booksmart, And you know, Rami Malek and Keith Stanfield, who I think is credited as Keith Stanfield. Yeah. Um, he kind of like yeah. went back and forth early in his career with that. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, Oh my God, this is a loaded, loaded cast. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, he said, it's not like that, not your typical, typical movie, but no, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was really good overall. Like, I couldn't even find I couldn't find anything to nitpick or anything. It was a really, really solid movie. Like it just was really good. Yeah, Kayla, I guess I want to ask you about it because again, I had forgotten the previous conversation we'd had about this movie, and I, 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 I know I, I know you like it, but I mean, also while you don't necessarily work with in this kind of facility, you do work with kids. So, how, what the first time you saw this movie, and then upon rewatching it, did anything really in particular strike you about this story as someone that does actually work with kids for a living? Um, yeah, I mean, after going through some different trainings, uh, because the department I work in is Exceptional Children's um, Services, that includes um, us as in, you know, speech, it includes OT, it includes PT, it includes behavior, it includes, you know, like mental health counseling, all of those facets are included in the department I work in. And so we do quite a few trainings on what's called trauma-informed care. Hmm. And so for me, this really, you know, it hit different because now that I have more information about that, I'm like, oh, okay, I see why they had this behavior. Okay, I see why they had this behavior. I see, you know, it's not so much that, that they're running away from the facility, they're running away from something else. Like, that's how we're trained to think is that every behavior has a cause and it's not they're acting bad because they're bad kids. It's, you know, they're in foster care because they've had some kind of childhood trauma. And so for me, it just, 
before I was like, oh yeah, no, these are kids who need help. But, you know, through all that, now I have this like different understanding of why. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you zeroed in on the trauma part of it because, like I said, I've, I've, seen, I've watched this movie a lot, and I was worried that, oh, it, I wasn't going to get anything out of a subsequent viewing. But I went on my Letterbox account afterward and realized I had never written anything about it, so it, I, that told me it had been over three years since I did last watch it. And I think one of the things that was notable that's happened since the last time I watched it is we went through the Me Too era, or we went through the Me Too reckoning, which I guess we're not we're not through. I shouldn't say we're through that or went through it. It's an ongoing thing. And while obviously the Me Too is not specific to children, it's specific to abuse across all kind of age, ages and uh, fields and all that. I think I'm just a little more sensitive to some of the subjects about abuse and how reasons people don't talk about it and reasons why people don't report it. And I think that was one thing that kind of stuck out to me about this movie and. I, you're, it was that it really is a movie about uh, abuse and whereas I think when I first saw it I, I saw it as more just in general about troubled kids and not necessarily abuse or anything like that and I what always resonated with me was that it was you know a movie about how you, you sometimes you just need to be there for people and you're not going to be a savior and I don't think I thought much more about the message than that and I still really liked it and um so did you see the connection between um brie larson's character and caitlin dever's character this time that that's why they connected so well was because they had this shared trauma and that will you know connect you a lot deeper than a friendship bracelet right and i think i i mean i obviously it's it becomes explicit that that does when there's the scene where she tells the octopus story in which I'd, i'd always picked up on that but one thing i noticed uh when i well, one thing I thought about when I my one of my another movie podcast I like is the Grierson Leach podcast. Will Leach, who's also a sports writer, does a movie podcast with his lifelong friend, and they do a thing where it's like you can uh, leave an iTunes review for them and ask them to review a movie, and they'll and they'll do that on top of the new releases that they do. So I did that for Short Term Twelve, and one of the things they criticized about the movie was they they thought that it got a little too quote unquote plotty. In the back half of the movie, when they're doing the different things where uh, where Grace is like trying to chase Jaden all around, and I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that. And I, but I, I just, I guess I just hadn't re- really rewatched the movie since I heard them discuss it at length. And then I watch it again. And I'm just there's all these kind of hints that there's more going under the surface with Grace the whole time, and that is what I picked up on this uh, viewing. And not only that, you can't save everyone, but you got to take care of yourself before you can even try. Is I think one thing I kind of picked up and. Uh, that's why you see Grace in therapy towards the end, and she probably should have been in... It's not really ex- explicitly stated she'd been in therapy before that when she probably really could have used it. So, I mean... Now they said it was, like, her third or fourth session, so they did imply that that wasn't the first time she walked in there. I mean, like, but, like, long-term. Like, it, she hadn't been going for that long, obviously, if it was only, like... You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, like, yeah. a... Like, she probably should have been seeing someone for longer given the wealth of issues we learn of that she had in her past. And I, and I, I think I, that I, I just had a lot more respect for the movie. I mean, hard for me to do that when it's already one of my favorites, but I realized just how well they set up that stuff throughout the whole movie up until that scene with the octopus story. And I think that is what really like kind of was, I found particularly moving was, or impressive was that they're really dropping hints throughout the entire movie and not like an overly explicit, heavy handed way that like, wow, there's a lot more going under the surface with grace. And that is why she has seemed so drawn to Jaden. I mean, if you are one of those people. I like you can see that a major theme of this movie is mm-hmm. healing. So they talk about how, you know, Marcus went from, you know, physically 
had been harmed, not to mention the trauma he had dealt with, like as a child, to I saw him on a date and there were two lattes and this one person who he had a connection with, he um, like he was with her. And then it also, you know, it talks about how Grace is healing, but it's through um, Jaden that Grace was able to heal. Mm-hmm. She was able to help close some of those doors for Jaden, you know, that she may have not had true satisfaction in and seeing that, you know, success for Mason's family, even though he was also a, a kid who family, was yeah. in foster care, you know, she saw that kids who are in that situation can have successful families and can have successful lives. So, I mean, in my opinion, this whole movie is about healing. Like, Grace is healing. It talks about, oh, the one kid with the dolls. I can't think of the character's name, but the kid with the dolls that he eventually has to I let go of the I think dolls. It's Sammy. Yeah, that eventually lets go of the dolls. And initially, he was he was a running risk, an elopement risk. But at the end, he wraps the flag around his neck and he triumphantly runs around and i mean that was my that was like my idea of it is that this whole movie was about healing that all these people are having to go through this trauma but they're also short-term 12 is a place of healing not only for the kids in there but also for grace yeah, Adam, was there something else about the movie that really uh, was it that re- that really struck you, or a specific moment, or a specific action that you saw these characters taking that really resonated with you? Um, well, one thing that kind of stood out to me—I wouldn't say it necessarily resonated with me, but it stuck out to me, especially now that you guys were talking about like Brie Larson's character, Grace, her her path. I know in the beginning of the movie, you know, she kind of is coming on to to John Gallagher, and they start fooling around, and then she kind of slaps him away, and I was like, uh oh. I was like, oh, no. Um, I, I came into this movie not knowing anything really about what it was about. And I was like, OK, we're going to this is not going to be because it starts off kind of funny a little bit, you know, where they're talking about like the scene, like the, the bit about John Gallagher, like, you know, pooping his pants, uh, <laughs> you know, trying, to, trying to track down a kid. And I thought, OK, maybe it's a comedy. And then I'm like, oh, this is not we're going into some serious territory here. This is not going to be just some lighthearted, uh, you know, fun movie with this cast of, you know, actors who I really like. But. Yeah, I mean, it's, I've only seen it one time. You guys have seen it more than me. So you guys definitely picked up on more than I have. Yeah, I guess I, 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 I do like that you made that point though about it. You kind of realizing there's going to be something like all of a sudden realizing oh, there's going to be something more to it because I think a movie of this subject matter could easily turn into feeling like an after school special. Oh yeah, for sure. And I don't, and I, I, I think I, I would be much more turned off to it if, it, if that was the case. And it seems like it really goes between some lighthearted moments like that, but then like some very, very serious moments because there's quite a few of them. And I think that's just a product of them, like almost not that. I mean, obviously it's a movie, but it almost you could almost feel like they actually just like turn the cameras on and let him run at a place like this because I'm sure that's exactly how it is. You know, like a big problem can all of a sudden just pop up out of nowhere. And it I feels mean, that's very how organic. it is in the that's how it is in the schools. Like yep. when I was, um, like even when I was like a classroom teacher, it was we would 
sit at, like, we would sit on the bench at recess and we'd just be chatting about our weekend or whatever. And then we see, you know, a kid throw a punch and immediately you have to jump up into action. Or even now I have some kids on my caseload who have some behaviors and need some support where you can be happy-go-lucky playing shoots and ladders. Don't worry, I don't just play games all day. There is a purpose. <laughs> you know, and they flipped the board because the littlest thing triggered them. They got on to number 17, and for some reason, today that number upsets them. And you have to immediately shift and, you know, jump into action. And for a lot of people who haven't been in that kind of situation – you're probably looking at Grace like, wow, she is so calm. This stuff is going on and she is so calm. Like, how does she do it? One, because that's what you're trained to do. But two, there's also the scene of her going home and like just breaking down in the shower after a bad day. And I mean, it's realistic to me. Like that's some of the stuff that happens. Sometimes you go home and you cry in the shower because you had such a bad day and you had to keep it together all day. Yeah, she compartmentalizes a lot, and I guess you really well, have you to. have you yeah. have to. Yeah, and I and and I and I guess I do like that. You know, if as we're talking, sorry, go ahead. Like I appreciate the reality of that. I appreciate how they portrayed that because while I work in public schools, I don't work in you know a care facility like that. Like it's very realistic. That's like how you have to you have to compartmentalize, and I appreciate that. They showed that. Yeah, there are moments where I, you find yourself just feeling very good watching the movie, and I think it's to the credit of the movie. It doesn't let you like feel good for too long at any one point, even if you know the movie might ultimately end in a good place. Just throughout, there's all these moments where you're like getting very excited that like one of them might be getting through to Jaden or something like that, and they're really cool scenes where. It's like a really cool way of showing and not telling where obviously they talk about their job some, but uh, whether it be uh, Grace paint or Grace drawing with her or Mason listening to music with her, it's like, oh, cool. They're going to bond with her this way. And I, they're like very quick ways where you can just kind of tell like, oh, like they know how to try and get in with the kid and they're going to do it and it's going to be fun and we're going to watch them have a fun bonding moment. But then, you know, him listening to music with her, that just gets, you know, destroyed by the kids getting in a fight on the base on the on the wiffle ball field or uh you know you think that she's had some kind of breakthrough with her when she's drawn with her and then a day later her dad doesn't show up and shit hits the fan and it's like of course it's not going to all be good it's going to be one step forward two steps back and i think it's it just kind of handles that really well because every time you think you, you're having like a great moment with this character you don't have to worry about them anymore you you're reminded that it's 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 not that easy it, it takes persistence yes what about uh, we, we we already kind of touched on? Oh, I guess we didn't really go too deep on either of those characters yet. But I mean, I guess obviously the two that you spend the most time with are are uh, Jaden and Marcus. But Adam, how do you think it ultimately handled that? Just that that pretty delicate subject matter. Uh, as we uh, as you know, you get towards the end of the movie, and it, it becomes clear it's it is really a story about her abuse. Like we t- we talked about it in terms of Grace, but uh, how did you think the movie ultimately just you said this is like pre me pre me too, or maybe there wasn't quite as much uh, uh, quite as much pop culture out there that kind of dealt with subject matter like this how did you think it kind of handled a pretty intense storyline involving like a 15 year old girl i mean i thought i thought it handled it pretty well i'm i'm probably not the the person that's best suited to well too bad you're here 
Yeah, I know. I'm here. But I mean, I think it handled it pretty well. I, I can't find any any flaws in it. You know, seven years later, when we've gone through, I say we, but as a society, we've gone. We know through, you've had it you rough, know? man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just saying we've, you know, we've had more of a reckoning with yeah. sexual violence in the last few years. And this movie, while it's only seven years old, is before that. But, you know, from the point of view, even for me as just, you know, another white dude, um, I think it handled it pretty well from from my point of view, at least. That's who the people really need to hear from right now. Is us white dudes? I, yeah, so yeah. Really, we've been we've been quiet for too long. We our voices have been shouted. <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, I assure you, I'm being very sarcastic. Yeah, you know, there's all these memes going around that are like, you know, there's gonna be so many white dudes starting podcasts now that everyone's just having to sit at home. And it's like I feel they're all, the, they're all targeted at you. I feel the need to really, really voice the fact that like I've had a podcast for five years. Like I'm not just a white <laughs> dude that feels the need to be heard now that he's locked in his house. I have felt the need to be heard for the last five years. Uh, <laughs> Kayla, I mean, like I said, like I kind of, I, I maybe like had more of a understanding of like, oh, what what this whole entire storyline is. Maybe like on this viewing beyond where we get to that, like. That, that that octopus story but like upon both of your viewings of the movie like how effective do you think it was in you know actually like tying it all together because i think it, like i said it, it dropped hints throughout but like uh and not even just like overall how to handle the storyline what did you think about how it was acted because i mean i've been like kind of like trumpeting like well before book smart they're like oh i think caitlin deaver is going to be a star and you guys watch out and she like popped up in other stuff but like i mean how, how moved did you find yourself like kind of actually watching like the culmination of that storyline? I mean, like I said earlier, it just, it seemed very real. Mm-hmm. They did a very good job on, you know, how they were representing their characters. Like I think the acting performances were great. You know, I didn't feel like the emotional scenes were overacted or anything like that. Like I was just, I was very impressed Dude, by you guys, the do you guys, whole I should, let me cut you off there. Do, do, do you guys feel manipulated watching a movie like this? Cause they often say that about pop culture that like is kind of designed to make you cry. I mean, I know, I think you guys are fans of this as us, which people like, I think, and I think I've heard Adam <laughs> talk about it, like saying like, Oh, I know they're trying to emotionally manipulate me, but I still like it anyway, which is fine. It's your prerogative. I don't, I don't even think I've ever cried when I watch this movie. I don't really cry when I watch that many movies. I, I, besides toy story three, which gets me every time. Uh, but you know, it's I, it's all of us, but it's like, but I still consider this one of my favorite movies and I don't know if it really makes me cry, but like I, I was going back and kind of glancing at some of the criticisms and they're like, Oh yeah, it's emotionally manipulative, but it's great. And I'm like, and then I'm trying to rethink what that means. Cause I, I don't really feel that manipulated cause it just feels like a very real grounded story to me. Did any of the emotions kind of feel like ring false to you, Kayla, or did you find it like yourself, like just very moved in a pretty genuine way? Um, I mean, they presented it in a way where you felt how the characters felt, mm-hmm. but like, I wasn't, I was like, I'm a crier. You, how many, like, how many movies have you seen me where I've like cried for something ridiculous? I cried while watching pick of the litter today, <laughs> I don't know what which is a show, is. which is a show about dogs becoming guide dogs. And I got a little emotional and teared up a little bit because okay. they're just they're good boys so this this movie doesn't have to do a lot to get you to that point is what you're saying well no this movie didn't make me cry that's the whole point is that like huh. i i cried watching a guide dog attend his graduation well, why do you think but that is then because i am very thankful i'm in the position i have not been sexually assaulted i have not been physically abused in any way i am very very fortunate that i have not had that experience 
but I do know what it feels like to work with kids who are really intense. While I haven't dealt with any of that kind of trauma, I know how Grace felt. I know how Grace felt when, you know, it's sometimes you have to be a little bit vulnerable to get there, how it feels to, you know, feel wholesome at a family dinner or what it feels like to have a complete utter breakdown at the end of the day. So for me, you know, I didn't feel emotionally manipulated because I have felt as Grace has felt. You know, I've never been to the point where I'm going to bash in somebody's car with a baseball yeah. bat. Um, you know, I, like I wish I was so- on. I like to do that sometime when I'm pissed off, you know. <laughs> I, I, I wish don't know where I would find the Beyonce car. level. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know where I would find the car to do it, but it just seems like a great exercise, depending on what kind of way you're feeling. But yeah, you know that now that I think about it, there aren't even really that many tears in the movie. I can I can maybe only think like a few moments. It's more like it's it's very cathartic. Emotion. Yeah, it's cathartic. A lot of strong emotion, but not necessarily sad. Yeah, I mean, like it's sad when you're hearing Grace like explain everything her father ever did to her, but then like it's not like. Jaden's crying when she's listening to it. She's just like, wow. Uh, yeah. But it's the same thing with the octopus story. Grace wasn't crying when she heard the octopus story. Mm. She was sitting there and she's like, she's the octopus. Her Mm. dad is the shark. I know what that feels like. And that's, you know, that follow up. Jaden cried. Jaden cried doing that. But yeah. Yeah. But then there's that follow up scene with the psychologist and she's like, this is what she is saying. Don't you have a graduate degree? Mm. You know, and like. I don't know if that's a psychologist. I think that's just like the manager of the place who or, seems to not really uh, have a good grasp on Well, it. he might be a clinical social worker because sure. clinical social workers are both social workers and um, like mental health clinicians. Gotcha. So that's kind of where that difference is. But where she's like, no, this is what, this is what she's saying. And it, was that moment of connection for them. So in my opinion, I didn't find it to be emotionally manipulative. I felt it to be emotionally raw and real. Yeah. You know, you're not going to cry over kissing someone in the rain, you know, after being separated in the 1940s. (laughs) I'm hinting towards the notebook here. Whoa, spoilers. I've never seen it. I'm not sure if you're joking or if you're being serious. I'm dead serious. I've never seen the notebook. Seriously? Wow. Well, you guys are quarantined. I mean, I was going to have you like uh, make some quarantine recommendations at the end of the podcast. But okay, well, like... apparently the notebook's on the list now. Yeah, now, now, just, now it's on y'all's list. Oh, uh, yeah. oh no. At... Okay, sorry, but I'll get back. No, it I got you. It didn't feel emotionally manipulative because it felt like real emotions that real people feel, not overly dramatized emotions. Yeah. You know, I mean, think about it. This movie is ahead of its time in terms of that. You guys have already talked about how it was ahead of its time in terms of me too, but also think about it being ahead of its times in terms of visibility of teenage suicide. Mm. Cause Marcus, he slits his wrist Yeah, we, because we... he's not ready to leave the facility, but he has to when he's 18. So once again, they're really exposing this is something that is going on, and it's before it became socially relevant to talk about it. 
Yeah, you know, I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you guys about Marcus before we finished. I mean, I don't know if we really need to sing the praises of Lakeith Stanfield anymore. But Adam, how do you think that? I don't story... know. Sorry to bother you, but. Sorry to bother you. It's phenomenal. I love sorry to bother you. I need to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. Adam, how do you think that storyline did it just kind of portraying like the fear of adulthood and like going out on your own? One, I thought it was really good. But now that we talked, now that we brought it up, I have the one tiniest, tiniest, tiniest nitpick in that we how go from seeing Marcus, you know, try to commit suicide and they're at the hospital. And then next we hear of him is at the end when they're like, yeah, he's doing great. And I'm like, I could have used one scene in there, just something, maybe talking to him in the hospital room, something. But it's um, not his story. I know it's not his story, but like, you know what I mean? Like it's just that I'm not, it's a tiny nitpick. I'm not saying, not saying it ruined anything, but it's like, I could have used even just, you know, a quick scene, some kind of bridge from he's, he wants to commit suicide to he's doing great, you know? Something in yeah, the middle. There would yeah, you know, if, did you guys? Did, you, did either of you guys watch Unbelievable on Netflix? No, I haven't. So watched it's that the one. starring Caitlin Deaver. I don't know if you guys know much about it. Where I mean, okay. ironically, I mean, ironically, we'll enough, put she's, it on the list. She, well, she's playing a survivor of rape, and so it's an eight-episode miniseries, basically, where you know mm. half of it follows her as she's dealing with, but where she she's raped and she's living at she's nineteen in the show, and she's living at like a place that's like a a transitional place for where kids live. Like once they've like outgrown foster care, but like need some time adjusting to the real world, and it's kind of like a facility like that. But she deals with the fallout of like the other kids at that place, like thinking she made up a rape charge. And the other half of the show focuses on Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver playing detectives trying to find the guys, like a serial rapist who uh, may or may not have also been the guy that committed her uh, Caitlin Deaver's rape. And so it's like kind of dueling storylines about that. But I was like wondering, like, that's interesting that like places like that exist where like a 19 year old can go after they've graduated out of the foster care, foster care system. And uh, just kind of it's funny, Adam's making that observation about the Marcus character. And it's like, yeah, you know, seems like a guy like that could probably benefit from a system like that. And instead, it's just like we jump to him like doing fine. And I, I can totally see how maybe like one more scene would have helped you there. And I, I, if you had asked me before, I w- in my head he would have come back before you actually learned that. I, and I, yeah, I forgot. Something. I, and, and in my head, I've. He, but also, right before he slit his wrist, they had his goodbye party and his 18th birthday party. Right. I guess I had just forgotten that th- that was all before the suicide attempt. So yeah, there there for sure could have been something else. But at the same time, like it. What's interesting is that they make it very clear throughout the course of this that kids can basically like get up and leave if they and probably pretty easily get out of that place if they want to. Um, you know, I mean, their parents might send them back there, but they can be tracked down. Their and- parents won't send them back there. Unless they're running away to their parents' or, house, or I mean, like they might get taken away and sent it back from their parents or something like that. But they can get they can get tackled up until they get to the front gate, but then they can get out. And it's pretty clear that like Marcus could have escaped like at any like left at any point and probably gotten out of there and just gone into far worse things. And the fact that like he is the guy that's been there for three years just kind of shows like how he has probably gotten the most out of it, even if he still has a long way to go. And uh, you, you, you understand the level of intimacy that he has at the place that like Mason is down to just go rap with him. And uh, and that scene is pretty great. I mean, one, well, Keith Stanfield is actually like kind of like a rapper in his own right, like more of an actor now these days, but like played Snoop Dogg and straight out of Compton and like totally killed it in two scenes. Like the guy can 
rap. And so it was a cool scene, but it was also just kind of showed like, wow, he's very ingrained in this place and uh, has really probably come to rely on it and gotten a lot out of it, even if he maybe isn't ready to be a full functioning adult. They obviously make it seem like he is, so good for him if he got to that point. But I think the movie just does a really good job of just showing just like how much he's come to rely on the the facility. And but uh, I mean, one thing we are we're told mm-hmm. is kids need and thrive on routine, mm. and this is, you know, from what we understand, this is the only place he has had consistency, and he's had routine, and he's had you know, regular meals, he's had regular interactions. So, I mean, it makes sense that he would have such a connection to this place because he hasn't been provided that, you know, previously in his life. Otherwise he wouldn't be in a short-term facility. You know, it's very well known that, you know, foster kids don't typically get adopted into their foster families. Uh Like that's, that's why it's such a, you know, a heart wrenching story when it happens. Cause it's not something that normally does. And kids thrive on routine. They thrive on consistency. And there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it's, you can't be fulfilled in the higher p- tiers of the triangle. Cause it's like a, it's a triangle. The pyramid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something Marcus was provided. That's why Marcus can, you know, he can rap, he can, you know, transition because his bottom tier of food, clothing, shelter was fulfilled. And like when your, your basic living needs are fulfilled, it's really easy to draw that connection and, you know, to feel safe there. That's why he was so scared to leave because he didn't know if he was going to be safe outside of that facility. Yeah, very true. Sorry, making it kind of deep and dark. No, we're, we're going to end on a lighter Adam. note after we wrap up on the movie. <laughs> Adam, do you have any other final thoughts on the movie? Um, one other thing that I was going to say is I was looking at some of like the, uh, the Wikipedia page for short term 12 and like one of like the criticisms of it was like, like kind of like you mentioned earlier, like, Oh, it ends on like a happy note and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes good things happen. It can end on a happy note. It's okay. Not everything has to be dark and cynical. Very true. Kayla, any final thoughts? It's still a great movie. Yeah, it's seven years old, but it is still worth the watch, and it's still just as relevant now as it was seven years ago. And if anything, it's more relevant now because some of these issues have, like, are actually being talked about. Yeah, I mean, like, Spotlight won Best Picture three years later, you know, and that was, like, a big focus of that was, I mean, it's like, a big scandal involving child molestation. So it's like a lot of these issues have just gotten even more play in pop culture and even unbelievable, which cause it was on Netflix is like seen far more, more people are going to know Caitlin Deaver from that than they do from short term 12, uh, which I mean, also a lot, of, a lot of light has been shined on kind of these issues. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in my opinion, it's the best independent movie of the 21st century. I think all of you guys should watch it. If I mean, I doubt anyone listened to this whole thing without having already watched it, but if you did, it's still worth going back and checking out again, guys, as we alluded to at the top of the program, you are basically trapped in your apartment now watching a lot of movies right now. Uh, do you have anything you want to recommend to the listeners? Cause we usually do recommendation corner at the end of this. And, uh, I know mean, you guys have been watching a lot of stuff. So Kayla, is there something you want to recommend to people besides married at first sight or 90 day fiance whichever one of it is you guys listen okay, to married at first sight is beautiful garbage okay well so that's what adam not- adam already adam already promoted that the last time he was on here and i know you guys have been watching real movies so do you have something else yeah. you want to tell people to watch 
not a movie, but a show sure. on Disney Plus. If you're interested, what I was talking about earlier, if you just want something lighthearted, something that's going to take a couple hours of your life and Especially just make you feel good times. and wholesome yeah. in these dark times, please watch Pick of the Litter. It talks <laughs> about it talks about these guide dogs who start with their puppy handlers, and the goal is for them to become CNI dogs for those who you know, are blind and it goes through their training process. It goes through, okay, well, this dog was career changed. And by the end, it's like, okay, well, here's them matching with their humans. And it's just so wholesome. And yes, it's not a movie, but it's a couple hours of your life that you're like, I needed some goodness and you'll cry at the puppy graduation too. (laughs) Great suggestion. Adam, do you have something you want to plug? Um, well, we watched a couple of movies yesterday, uh, little little independent films. I don't know if you heard of them. Uh, one of them is called Jaws and one's called Airplane. <laughs> um, very, you know, low budget, independent movies. No one's ever heard of them, but uh, we watched well, They might not yesterday. actually be that big of budgets. That's a good point. But um, Mechanical but yeah, no, we, Shark in the 70s probably took a big chunk of change. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So we watched those yesterday just for fun. Um, if you somehow manage to go through your life without seeing either of those, Highly recommend it. Jaws is still phenomenal. Uh, Airplane still cracks me up on, you know, my, like, 30th viewing of it. Uh, it's just great. And then... Uh, also watch The Tiger King because we say, need more people to talk about with it. it. You stole it from me. I was going to say, if you have not watched it yet, watch Tiger King. It's the only thing holding this country together right now. Uh, did you know? Seriously, it's one, like, number one spot on Netflix right now. Kayla, did, so, you, did you guys notice that they caught Joe Exotic in my hometown when he got arrested? Yes, oh I my said God, they, that. They, I told oh you. God. I told you, Adam. And I was like, oh, that's yeah, where Josh right, is from. He's like, isn't he from Pensacola? I was like, no, no. He says Pensacola, but he's talking about the small town that is outside of Pensacola, which is this Go place. Freeze. And he goes, I'm not sure about that. No, that's my, not what I said. I think you're right. Yeah, my well, I mean, I mean, if people ask where I'm from and they say Pensacola and I say Pensacola, and they're like, well, oh, I know that area. Yeah, they say it's I know that area. And then I say Gulf Breeze. So now it's like, <laughs> now it's like, yeah, now we're going to be very known. And I, my friend Billy, who's been on the podcast before, when I tweeted about the fact that Joe Exotic was caught in Pensacola, Billy's like, he was working as a dishwasher at Peg Leg Pete's, and I was like, holy crap, Peg Leg Pete's is not like a. From the looks of it, it might be the kind of place you would expect someone like Joe Exotic to be a dishwasher, but it's actually like a very <laughs> well-respected restaurant where it has like the best oysters in the panhandle basically like it's and it, somehow he got a job as a dishwasher there and it looked like at least where they showed the they showed this they said he was outside of the gulp hospital and they showed a sign so it was like he was either in the parking lot of the hospital or the andrews institute where dr james andrews has his like second office outside of his birmingham one is like right there next to the hospital in gulf breeze so like i know that area very well where joe exotic was caught and I look, I, I, I guess since you guys brought it up, that'll be my recommendation, too, because, you know, as anyone that listens to the podcast knows, like I consider myself like someone who I mean, I talk about like I might not only I, mean, I don't only talk about awards worthy stuff, but like I think of myself as a somewhat sophisticated moviegoer and I'm trying to take advantage of all this free time to like watch well-regarded movies that I like have never watched. I'm going to start doing podcasts on some of them. I've Wait watched- a minute. Have you seen The Dark Crystal? No. Okay, that's on your list. Okay, it is, what is it? fantastic. And there's also a prequel show on Netflix now, what, what, which is, what is also the Dark fantastic. Crystal? So The Dark Crystal is a Jim Henson film. 
So hmm. it's puppets. Um, oh, my God. I believe it's pre-Labyrinth, but, like, the Jim Henson Creature Shop is involved, and it is – it's so amazing. It's puppeteering. That's, like, before its time, and now I sound like a weird puppet person. But this is the same guy who does Sesame Street, okay? So, <laughs> so mind you, there. You're, putting, you're, 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 you're uh, recommending something on the other end of the spectrum from uh, Tiger King. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Uh, but it's, it is, it's very good. Then you see some of those characters come back in the prequel. Um, Kayla, you're not doing a good job of explaining this. <laughs> no. Okay. So essentially you have the Skeksis, which oh, have naturally. come. Yeah. <laughs> and they take apart, they take away from the dark crystal and the dark crystal is essentially this crystal that keeps the lands healing and growing and flourishing and they are draining the power from the crystal which is okay it's jim henson like come on it's gonna be a little weird have you seen labyrinth no okay well see this is why you don't get it you just haven't been getting like the jim henson experience because labyrinth with david bowie is also jim henson puppets also has um jennifer connelly in it so clearly you need to get into the cult classics of the early eighties, like the dark crystal has lore attached to it. There was a guy who wrote a series of graphic novels who in the series on Netflix created an entire language just for the podlings. Awesome. And there's a whole documentary about how they made it too. But the series has some like huge names in it. Um, It has, Simon Pegg is in it. He does a voice. The guy who plays Lucius Malfoy. What's his name? Jason Isaacs. Yes. He's in it. Natalie Dormer's in it. Taron Egerton is in it. Let me pull it up. They got, and all of these people, when they talk about it on the documentary, they're like, no, we have loved this. So I am suggesting that you watch The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Because they are major cult classics. All right. Labyrinth is like a huge acid trip. Yeah. Okay, here you go. Um, Taryn Egerton is in the series. Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, Natalie Emanuel, Simon Pegg, Mark Hamill, Jason Isaacs, Benedict Wong, Andy Samberg, Helena Bonham Carter, okay. no, Sigourney no, no, Weaver. No, no, now I'm interested. Okay, okay. So a lot of those are, people have good taste. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, so oh, it's also, the Gelflings and the Skeksis. So it's based on the film done in 1982 by Jim Henson. So you have to watch that. All right. First. All right. All right. I want to add. I want to add one more recommendation. If you have not already seen it, uh, You've been inside Lonely- a lot. Sorry, Josh. Yeah. We're just talking <laughs> to new people. <laughs> uh, the Lonely Islands, uh, the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience. Yes. It's a 30-minute visual album about Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco, and it's truly iconic. The soundtrack is one hilarious and two actually like really good uh like really good rap but like and also there's no sports right now so he really needs something yeah i really need some sports in my life it's hilarious it stars sterling k brown as uh sia i'm not making that up he plays sia uh it's just it's phenomenal all around yeah it's on netflix uh, mm-hmm. And my my original my original point being, I don't even know how I let uh, Kayla get on that rant, 
But uh, just that I normally I consider myself someone that watches like sophisticated movies and stuff. So I was very skeptical about Tiger King. Just I was hearing bits and pieces of it and seeing like screen grabs on Twitter. I was like, what the hell is this? I have I, I'm watching all these like well-regarded movies. I watched Amadeus on Friday night. I'm trying to watch these three-hour Best Picture winners. I've never had the time to watch. And I was like, fine, I'll watch the Tiger Show. And then I finished it in two days. So <laughs> even if you think of yourself as someone who is like above that kind of thing, don't because it's that entertaining and you won't regret watching it. And it really goes quickly. Well, I don't know about you, but that first scene where it shows Homestead, Florida, Adam and I were both like, of course. Yeah. And then, I mean, he like, also he knew the guy. He knew the guy from Lion, like the manager of Lion Country Safari, which is literally 10 minutes from our apartment. Yeah. I mean, it's like that, that part of the state was just very involved. And then the guy, the guy that runs, there's this guy that runs like another one of these animal zoos down outside of Miami. And like, he's like, apparently with like Scarface Merriman out of him based on him. And like, he, and apparently he's like still in operation and like makes a killing and like just welcomes Netflix into his home. And it's like no big deal. And he still gets to do his thing. And that's Florida for you. Uh, he's, he's just like, he's like, did I shoot the guy? No, but I was there. And that's really the same thing. So whatever. The other thing I'd say about Tiger King to anyone that hasn't watched it is that there is a character who runs his own tiger farm. And he uh, is probably a terrible person because he brings in like 17 year old uh, female employees and has him join basically a sex cult and he works him 12 hours a day and and he was the tiger tamer in britney spears music video saw that thanks to zoe kravis's instagram earlier uh was where (laughs) i learned that but basically this guy like is like not even the top 10 weirdest characters of the show and he's running like a sex cult for underage girls and like this thing could have easily been 16 episodes instead of eight. That's how crazy it is. So check out Tiger King. Thanks to everyone that's still listening. Uh, thanks again to Adam and Kayla for joining us. Uh, Adam, if anyone wants to find any of your uh, COVID-19 coverage, because that's the beat you're on now instead of high school sports, where can they go? Uh, you can follow me at AB Lichtenstein on Twitter. And everyone go subscribe to your local newspaper because we're all hurting right now. And we're we're the ones who give you local information about COVID-19 and other stuff. So please support your local newspapers. Yeah. Uh, everyone, I'm not going to promote a single episode coming next week. Cause at this point we're not on a regular movie release schedule. So it's going to be whatever guests I can track down that I've already kind of planned, tentatively planned a throwback episode with. So I can't tell you what's coming next, but I promise we're not going to take a week off through this entire crisis. So everyone's we're going to do a dark crystal one. Oh I have God. decided. All right. Well, it'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. So everyone stay tuned for uh, who knows what next week. We'll see you next time. <laughs>